everyone. Welcome to a very exciting edition of Words, Images, and Worlds. I am delighted on this episode to be talking with creator J.M. DeMatteis. Did I get you the got name it right, man? I was. I realized usually we talk about that before we start, so they get the <laughs> name right. And just as you started, I'm thinking, is he going to get it right? Is he going to oh, get it right? And you did. Beautiful job. Fantastic, fantastic. I, I practice, I try. Um, and, and I also have a D name, D, D Hart. So it's, you know, De Hart or D Hart. So people pronounce it in various ways. Sometimes um, people take the D E and they make it a duh, you know, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. which, which really dumbs down the whole name, you know. <laughs> right, right. Yes, yes. So when we talk about um, the multiverse, we'll say D multiversity. Right, and not the duh multiverse. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, well, glad to have you here and glad to be talking comics and storytelling with you. I know that you've also worked in the world of prose with The Witness and uh, you know, Brooklyn Dreams that's out in the world. We, we could go through a laundry yeah, list. A lot of TV work also. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, several titles, the, the Elseworlds books, um, Spider-Man Batman was one I saw that you recently posted about, which was a a big one in my growing up as well and comics reading. Um, so, so we could literally spend this entire episode probably just listing the things that you've worked on. Yeah. Sometimes when people decide they want to go through my career chronologically, which has been like 40 years, <laughs> we, you know, if we get past like 1982, we're lucky. So it's like, I don't like to do chronological surveys of my work because then I never get to talk about what I'm doing now. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so we'll we'll do that. We will actually go into the the idea of comic storytelling and visual storytelling to start with. So uh, in your work, in your view, um, what makes comics this unique way of storytelling? You know, uh, I sometimes I'll teach I teach a workshop uh, called Imagination One Hundred and One, where we go into not 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 primarily focusing on comics, but really it's a writing workshop that could be applied to anything. But, you know, the people that come are generally hardcore comics, comics people. Mm -hmm. And I ask that question, why comics? What is it? Because not everybody responds to comics. Some people, uh, they can't even understand what's going on in a comic book page. They can't follow the balloons or anything. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for some of us, and I'll get more, but, but the, I think the initial thing is there's something about the combination of words and pictures that for certain people, it's like this chemical drops in your brain. And you, I, I go back to being a kid back in the days when there really were Sunday comics. Of, you know, when you, I, when my parents would get the Sunday Daily News, I grew up in Brooklyn, and giant Sunday comic section and just laying on the floor. You know, you could, even before I could read, you were just staring at that. There was something about that combination of words and pictures. And, and then, you know, the, the deeper you get into it, you see, I was just, just, uh, just seeing something that I'd written recently. You know, people try to define comics as mm -hmm. one thing or another and it's not it's basically any combination of like you take words and you take pictures you throw them in a pile you put a stick of dynamite in there you light it you blow them up and however they land that's a comic book i have done comics that are very very prose centric mm -hmm. you know where there's a lot of heavy text page after page with an illustration and then it jumps then we jump into pure comics just panel to panel with no words it can be anything you want it to be but there is something about that that combination that is just magical and wow. not everybody responds to it but boy once you get hooked on that combination it's it's like a drug you can't mm. get off it you just can't get off it yeah yeah it really is it's a unique way of telling stories and 
was recently someone recently asked me what one of the assumptions about comics is that isn't that's something to sort of get over sort of a hurdle and my response was well that they're all the same thing that if you've seen garfield you've seen them all or if you've seen uh mad magazine you've seen them all or, or whatever it happens to be yeah yeah and and you know comics have diversified so much over the years well you know or you know comic books are just superheroes Mm-hmm. But they're not, like I said. And if you, you know, if you walk into a comic shop and you see the panorama of titles, uh, not to mention all the graphic novels in the bookstores that appeal to every age range, every genre, um, they're not one thing. I think you know to this day you still see those stupid articles. If it's about a comic book, it has to start pow zap. You know, right, right. Like it's still 1966, <laughs> and we're all watching the Batman TV show, and that's not what it is. It's anything you want. It's anything you want it to be. Um, it's like saying, it's even. I think it's even more diverse than film in some ways. You know, I think there's mm-hmm. more things you can play with on a comic book page than you can play with even in film. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, not to go full retrospective, but I, I did want to ask about maybe a positive experience, any particular positive experiences that bubble up. And then maybe how what you've learned along the way in comics is is kind of informing what you're doing now. Positive experiences in the business? <laughs> in storytelling? Oh, in anything. You know, positive experience. It, it all comes down to creative combustion in the best possible way. The positive mm-hmm. experience. I can't just pick one. I've worked yeah. with so many incredible people over the years. So I'll pick the experience instead. When you have the right writer and the right artist and your creative sensibilities come together, and I always say this, and if anyone's heard it before, I'm sorry for being redundant, but it's just like the chemistry between people. If you walk into a party and you start to talk to somebody and you're you're trying, you're trying to make a connection. And I always say it's like, like you're shooting arrows at each other and they're just flying over each other's head or flying over in the other direction. And you just don't connect. You turn away, you bump into somebody else. And the second you start talking, there's something there and you know this is a person I want to know and we're going to be friends. Mm-hmm, it's the mm-hmm. same thing creatively between a writer and an artist in comics. It's And it's inexplicable just as it is between human beings. You don't really know how or why. And sometimes it's not even personal. You may not hardly, you may hardly know when you're working on monthly books for say Marvel and DC, sometimes you're just thrown together. You're on a treadmill. You're turning out that work month after month. But mm-hmm. the minute the words and the pictures hit that page, something happens. And yet with artist B, it doesn't happen with artists see it falls apart and you don't know why. So when that kind of, and I've been so lucky to work with so many extraordinary artists over the years. I mean, like so many that I couldn't even begin to list them. And, and And the joy of continuing to work in the business is discovering new people that I've never worked with before and loving working with them. But that when that comes together, um, it's, it's magic. It has, and that's the thing, not just about that, but about the whole creative process after all these years, the thing I like the most about it is that it's magic and it's mysterious and I still can't explain it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't explain where a story comes from. I can explain the technique. You know, I say there's there's inspiration and there's plumbing and I don't mean pl- plumbing in a negative way. You know, there's, there's you know, the, your technical skills, give me the pipe, I'll put the story together pipe by pipe, turn mm-hmm. on the water and it'll work. But the joy of creativity is when I wake up in the morning and my eyes are closed and out of the blue, there's a movie playing in my head and there's a story just 
it's there. I don't know where yeah. it came from. It came, and I, you know, I say this half jokingly, but I actually believe it. Like there's a dimension of story out there. Yeah. And the stories yeah. themselves are floating around looking for the right person to tell them. They might stop by your head and go, mm, maybe not, not this one. Oh, over here. And then they enter through the door of your unconscious and suddenly there they are. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the that's what I still live for. And what I love the most is that that sense that the story, that the characters have lives of their own separate from me. Oh. And they are leading me on. They are. It's like someone's whispering in your ear, telling you this is the story or showing you a movie. Look. And then I see the movie. I have to run into my office, get to the computer and get that down. And mm -hmm. then the conscious mind, the skilled editor in my mind, that's the guy who knows what to do with the pipe, takes that mass of inspiration and shapes it, you know? And mm -hmm. the, of course, the other, the, the other odd thing is that this story seems to come from outside yourself, and yet the story chooses the filter of your personality. So when it comes through there, it becomes deeply personal to you. Mm -hmm. The way the same story would appear in your head in the way that I tell it and the way that you tell it, would be two completely different things because our personal experiences are different. Our personal obsessions are different. You know, uh, our, our childhood traumas are different. Whatever it may yeah. be, we'll tell that story in a very different way. Yeah, yeah. As you've been creating, have there been uh, particular characters that you've built sort of kinships with? People that you like to revisit in the in the world of story. Yeah, I'll, you know, well, I've done a lot of creator own stuff, so clearly the stuff that one creates for oneself, there's a there's something unique and special to that because you're building worlds from the ground up. It's not you're not stepping into Batman's world or Spider Man's world or the Justice League's world, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's the, these are your worlds and your characters. Uh, but in terms of the Marvel and DC characters, I'll say two things that are contradictory. One is when you're writing a story. In that moment, every character has to be your favorite character. Mm -hmm. In order to tell that story right, you have to love that character deeply and intimately. At the same time, yes, there are always characters that jump out more. I've, I've Over the years, I've done so much work with Spider-Man that Peter Parker, I say, I say this, Peter Parker, I know him more intimately than I know some of my best friends. Because mm -hmm. I live inside his head in a way that I don't live inside their head, you know? Yeah. He's such a real three-dimensional uh, believable character. And I think mo anybody that's written Spider-Man for any length of time would probably say the same thing, that Peter becomes very real. He, but he's, he's, he's not just a character. He's my friend. It may make me sound crazy, but that's the way I feel about it. And that's the way you want to feel about the characters that you really connect with and love. And at least when you're writing that story, like I said, you have to feel that way about it with every character. Sometimes you walk away and you realize after the fact, okay, I gave that everything I had. I connected with that character. Not necessarily a character I want to revisit. Mm -hmm. And other characters mm -hmm. you can keep going back to and back to and back to. Yeah. yeah. In your technique, um, what, what's the process like moving from, say, a comic to writing in, in film or television um, to writing prose? Are there differences there in your... The differences uh, sort of are in form. Not, you know, the, the, the basic thing, the basic story energy is the same because story is story is story. You know, if I wake up with that movie in my head, it's not necessarily in that moment. Is this a comic book? Is this a prose piece? Is this, you know, a television piece or whatever? So writing a screenplay is formatted and the way you have to fit that story through that form is different than doing it through a comic book and certainly mm -hmm. different than doing it through prose. Prose is is much more 
I mean, really, when you're sitting down to write a prose piece, there's, you know, comic books, it's paid. All right, here's this issue. It's 22 pages, you know, and there, and there are certain beats you're going to have to hit in this 22 pages to make it engaging, whereas prose is much more open and sprawling. And I think the trick is to to not sprawl too much. Although some of the greatest novels ever, you know, I mean, Dickens was certainly a sprawler and is my, one of my all-time favorite writers. Um, so it, it's a fine balance, but it, it's it, the difference is not in the story because the, you, you'll tell the same great story in each of those forms, but the difference is the format. When I first started learning about how to write comics, when I first started in the business, there were very specific rules, you know, mm -hmm. how many panels per page, how many words per panel, all these kind of things, you know, how the narrative voice should be, all that. And, and, and that's the way you learn. Later on, you can, you can take that same stick of dynamite I was talking about before and use it to blow up the rules too. But it's yeah. always good to learn the structure and learn the rules. Same thing with screenwriting. When you first start, you're thinking about the format because you've never worked in that format before. You're thinking about how do I get this information across when we're primarily using dialogue and not narrative. Um, whereas, you know, comics, you can use anything. It's it's dialogue. It's narrative. It's you can you know every it, it, it's wide open. Um, so you're learning the form. You're thinking about the form, and at some point, it goes from I'm thinking about the form down here, and it becomes intuitive. And you're not thinking about the form anymore. You're just telling the story with all of those things. And once you click into that, doesn't matter whether you're writing a book, whether you're writing a movie, whether you're writing a comic or a TV show, whatever it is. You know, the other big difference with TV very often, you know, I'm a freelancer, so I get hired to write on a show to write this episode of season two or whatever. So mm -hmm. they've got something mapped out. They know what the season is. They know the basic story they want you to tell in order for it to fit in with the rest of what they're doing. So my job, it's not like, oh, here's my personal vision. Here's like, oh, I have a great idea for a, for a novel. I have a great idea for a new comic book series. Mm -hmm. um, you have to fit into this slot that they're giving you. And the trick is you have to give them exactly what they're looking for. At the same time, you have to bring as much of yourself to the table, as much of your creativity and originality to open that up. Otherwise, you're just a stenographer and they're going to hire somebody else next time. You know, you have to enliven that work. So it's a fine balance in TV between giving them what they need and bringing something fresh to the table with that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, you were talking about the possibilities of what you can do in comics. So I'll just tag here and say, I, I love and appreciate the superhero stories, science fiction, action, all of those things. But I also appreciate what comics allow for with a story like uh, Brooklyn Dreams, where you're using the medium to tell a more personal, grounded, realistic story as well. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that's remains one of my all time favorite projects. And it was just it was just about growing up crazy and dysfunctional in Brooklyn and uh, and my own personal search for meaning uh, as a teenager. And it was it was a phenomenal, phenomenal project. I worked with a great artist named Glenn Barr. Actually, it's going to be a new edition coming out from Dark Horse uh, either oh, later nice. this year or early new or early next year. So I'm very excited about that. But you know that started with with a project I did in the '80s called Moonshadow, which was the first creator-owned project I ever did with an, an artist named John J. Muth. It was the first fully painted comic in in American comics, mm. and that was where I finally kind of like shook off the Marvel DC mindset of like, this is how you write a comic, mm -hmm. which was more my mindset than wasn't necessarily the company telling me, I just, this is how you write a comic. And suddenly I was just writing this story as if it was a novel. That's 
very, very prose heavy in parts, just as we were talking about before, beautifully mm -hmm. painted. And suddenly it was like, oh, this isn't that writer's voice in my head or that, this is my voice, yeah. you know? And, and that allowed me to step back into those, uh, those books and those characters, those established characters and write them in a different way because I had finally figured out who I was as a writer by writing this thing that was just mine. And so anyway, so while I was writing Moonshadow, uh, the, the main character's mother uh, was from Brooklyn, <laughs> although she was kidnapped by aliens and deposited in an intergalactic zoo. That's another long story. <laughs> so we would do these little flashbacks to her life in Brooklyn. And I would pepper in aspects of my own life. And some of it was made up and some of it was mine. But I, I loved getting into this just Brooklyn family growing up stuff. And I thought, gee, it'd be great to just write something that's just that. And out of those seeds came Brooklyn Dreams. Nice, nice. And you mentioned Muth there, and um, I love stories of getting pages back, how authors sometimes will create something, share it in words, and then get it back in words and images. So I imagine uh, Muth brought something to that page that was unique. I imagine oh, that was pretty revelatory. <laughs> Same thing. You know, if I had done that project with somebody else, the whole tone might have been different. I still remember when we first met, and I had a maybe a five page outline of the story, or just the general general concept, general characters. And he showed up at my house because we lived near each other. And he did these drawings and I said, you know, wow, that's very Dickensian what you drew there. And he said, well, that's what you wrote, isn't it? <laughs> and I kind of went, oh, oh yeah. I hadn't even consciously realized it, <laughs> that I was doing my own sort of David Copperfield in space thing. He mm -hmm. saw it. And so I respond to his artwork. He responds to my words and we, push each other. And I think I had to raise my game because when you're working with an artist that's that good, you have to raise your game. And I think I challenged him to do things in his art that left to his own devices he might not have done. And by the time we were done, we had something that, that you know, was unique that neither of us would have done before that moment that we came together. And that's that creative chemistry again. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious about that move into creator owned comics and how that is kind of uh, informing your work now as you're sharing stories. Yeah. You know, in the eighties, it was, it was, it was a really wide open time, very, very creative, very, very experimental. Uh, you know, uh, even at, at the big companies, you know, DC's was doing things like Camelot 3000, which was the first maxi series and, Frank Miller's Ronin and Marvel launched the Epic Comics line, you know, and I remember I was working on, on my monthly Marvel books and I was like, I really need to take part in this, in this mm -hmm. kind of creative explosion. And that's when I went to Marvel with Moonshadow. And, and again, as I said, it, it liberated me and helped me find my voice. And I realized from that point on, I said, I have to always have something like this going on. Yeah. I, I, and what's happened over the years with my work between doing the, the more mainstream Marvel and DC work. Uh, my great collaborator, Keith Giffen and I, who worked on all the Justice League stuff at DC, which was very humorous stuff. So mm -hmm. we had the straight superheroes, we had the, the comedy, and I always had my creator own stuff. And then I always had TV and animation and all this stuff to go into. So it allowed me to diversify and bounce back and forth. But certainly just even just in comics, being able to step out of the world of Spider-Man and Batman and step into the worlds that I was creating, A, helped me to grow. And mm -hmm. B, kept me sane, because I think for me personally, if all I'd ever done was write superhero comics, I would have burned out. Yeah, yeah. But by having having the opportunity to express myself in all these different ways, 
and also as the as the medium expanded uh, starting in the 80s it's like you were able to even do work with these these established marvel and dc characters and bring that same sort of creator owned sensibility to those books <laughs> and we had a lot of freedom to do things um i have certain books that i've worked on that were marvel and dc characters that i might as well have created them myself because i was given so much freedom to remake them in my image if you know what i mean Yes, yeah. Yeah, which you can't, uh, I don't know if you can do that so much today with those characters. I just, yeah, got, a I just got a reminder that we're having a podcast today. <laughs> we are indeed, yes. <laughs> and glad we are. Um, yeah, there, there's so much multimedia that comes in with the characters now that it, yeah. I, I imagine there are those limitations. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I talk about, people talk about Craven's Last Hunt, which is this famous Spider-Man story that I did. Mm -hmm. And when I did it then... It was six issues. It was a very, very different kind of Spider-Man, as dark, as mystical and metaphysical as Spider-Man story that had ever been done. And I had to. I don't think anyone changed a comma in that story. Oh wow! I don't. I don't think I could have done that story in the same way today. Now, and, and I'm working for those guys today, and it's still fun, and I and we still have a lot of freedom. But there was a level of freedom back then that was that doesn't. I don't think exists now. But I think partly because of that reason, because it's more corporate. Mm -hmm. uh the companies are all owned by these giant corporations and there's a certain mentality that creeps in um happily i still get to work with great editors and, and great artists and and still get a lot of freedom but but the 80s uh was was a special time and then you know why why you went from the 80s into the 90s the 80s marvel had the epic comics line then it evolved they had vertigo Karen Berger started vertigo over at dc so mm -hmm. there was always that avenue to go and express yourself in a very personal way you know yeah, yeah. Um, two things there. One is Craven's Last Hunt continues to be uh, probably my favorite Spider-Man story that's been done, and I think it's because you explored those boundaries. Uh, the other thing is you mentioned Keith Giffen, and I was fortunate enough over the summer to get to talk with him. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Where, where, yeah. where was this? Oh, the, in Zoom, right here. Oh, um, you interviewed him. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. Great. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, he he was just a, a dynamic force of a human being, and oh my creative God, yes. and funny. Yeah, I always say Keith may be the single most creative human being I've ever met, and if he's not the single one, there may be some people that equal him, but there is nobody I've ever met who was more creative than Keith. Um, he's he was just, I my I always say this, but it's but it's what I always think of when I think of Keith. When when my son was little, he had this little bubble bear. It was a plastic bear. And you press the bear's belly, his head would pop up and bubbles would come out, you know, like the little bubble machine. Uh -huh. And Keith was like that, except with ideas. Give him a squeeze <laughs> and a hundred ideas would come out of his head. And if he didn't like those, give him a squeeze again 30 seconds later. And another hundred ideas would come popping out of his head. He was yeah. just, he was a creative uh, uh, force of nature and really smart, really funny. And, you know, we collaborated together on and off for 30 years. Oh, just a wow. great guy. And over, who over the years wasn't just my collaborator, but my friend. And I still am wrapping my head around a world without Keith in it, you know, that you mm -hmm. got to talk to him last summer. You're very lucky. You got in under the wire, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, the the incredible wit, the, the again, just the humor and uh, the kindness to take time out of your day just to talk about Lobo and um, some of these creations over the years. Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy, great guy. 
Um, so last official question I think I have, and we can, of course, touch on anything that we missed, and that is currently what's on the table that you're exploring that you'd like to share about. And then I always like to ask, you mentioned you do workshops. Um, so I'd, I'd love to give you the space to share web links for those things and places where people can find out more about your work and teaching. Okay, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you the whole the whole rundown. Okay. So what's going on right now? I just, you mentioned, I just, a few months ago, my, my latest novella called The Witness came out um, through a wonderful company called Neotext. You can get it uh, on Amazon or you could check out Neotext. Uh, it's called neotextcorp.com. And uh, the wonderful thing with these novellas is that we get wonderful illustrators to do some illustrations for them. So The Witness has 10 illustrations and a cover by J.H. Williams III, one of the best artists working out there. Mm -hmm. uh, the year before I put out another uh, a novella called The Excavator with wonderful illustrations by my uh, my friend, a wonderful Greek artist, uh, Vasilis Gogzilis. It's been really fun to get back into prose after about a decade away. And I'm working on a third novella right now that hopefully will be out, I hope, by the end of the year. So there's that. So I encourage anyone that enjoys my work to go check out The Witness and The Excavator. Comic book-wise, I have a new Spider-Man uh, miniseries called Shadow of the Green Goblin coming out in April, I believe. I have a top secret project and the work at DC in the works at DC. Wonderful. Um, and then there's the Demultiverse. Which uh -huh. I, I'll see if I can do it in a short way. <laughs> the end of 2022, we did a, a Kickstarter, uh, basically launching not one but four new titles simultaneously. Four new titles, four different genres, four different artists. Um, and it, it, it turned out uh, far beyond my expectations, and the Kickstarter went very, very well. And at the end, we took a vote from the people that supported the Kickstarter to say, which of these four books do you want to have continue? That was the idea. They pick one, and then we do a complete uh, miniseries. Mm -hmm. And what got the most votes was do all of them. <laughs> so we are hard at work right now on the second chapters of all these books. And I'd say in the first half of the year, I hope sooner than later, maybe by April, we will launch another Kickstarter uh, with, the, with the second round of the multiverse books. So if anyone wants to check them out, uh, my friend David Baldy, who's my partner in this, created a, an imprint called Spellbound Comics. Just go to spellboundcomics.com and you can check things out there. Uh, and in terms of, the, I haven't done the workshop for a while and I'm uh, some several people have spoken to me about it. So I'm thinking about getting that up and running again. Mm -hmm. I, I did it on Zoom a couple of times when the pandemic hit. But one thing that I I have that's ongoing and active is I call it's called a creation point story consultation where I do what I do with the workshop but I work one on one with people. Mm -hmm. So if someone comes to me, I want to do a five issue comic book miniseries. I have this screenplay I'm working on. I have this book idea. So we'll we'll work from the very first idea right through the end of the project together one on one. And I really enjoy that one-on-one -on -one connection with people and watching a, a writer grow like that and watching their story evolve and being able to help them to shape it and bring their vision out. So if you go to my my website, jmdmateus.com, there's a section about the, the workshop. So when I get that up and running again, you'll see it there. And there's a section about the story consultation. And uh, if you follow me on social media, I, I, if, if, if I'm doing a new workshop, I will absolutely be uh, mentioning it on social media. So I think that covers everything right now. <laughs> You're a busy other, person. One other thing I can't talk about, but uh, that, that's basically it. <laughs> yeah, I'm always happier when I'm busy, you yeah. know, and, and the freelance life is feast or famine. I've been doing it for so many years and 
it's completely illogical. There's no rationality to it. Why, you know, for three months, you're so busy that you're going to have to turn down any more jobs. And then for three months, you might have nothing. And then again, for three months, you're busier than, you know, so when the work comes, you just say yes, and you go with it. <laughs> and plus, I'm, as I said, I'm always happier when I'm being busy and creative, as my wife can attest. <laughs> Well, well, looking forward to the next steps in the u universe you're creating. Uh, and thank you so much for the time. Thank you for the talk. And, and always glad to, to talk about future projects and creative directions. Great. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you. Uh -huh.